I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the podcast mini-series about Peter Strickland. A director whose dimensions and proportions transcend the prism of measurements. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've been perusing the sails in search of a hypnotic, magical, powerful podcasting pair to join me. But as you may have figured by now, I could only find Catherine Bray and Stephen Ryder. Ah, hello. <laughs> the ragged old off the rack thing yeah. that he owned as previous. <laughs> 70% off. <laughs> So this is the end of our journey into the heart of Strickland, uh, as we are soon to become merely echoes in the recesses in the spheres of podcasting. But we must first, of course, discuss In Fabric, uh, Peter Strickland's brand new film. We've already discussed his previous three features. That's Catelyn Varga, Berberian Sound Studio and The Duke of Burgundy. If you need to catch up on any, they're all available on Curzon Home Cinema on demand. Uh, for podcast listeners, that's you. We've made the offer code Strickland, which you can use to get 50% off of the films if you want to watch them on there now. But it is time, finally, to delve into In Fabric. Now, this is a film about a killer dress. That's the marketing line, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good one. It is. It's, it's not just that. Uh, Stephen, would you be able to just tell us a little bit about In Fabric without revealing maybe too much? Yeah, of course. So In Fabric is, is about a killer dress. It's about um, a department store in uh, Thames Valley upon Thames, um, which uh, kind of has something a bit strange about it. Uh, a little bit of black magic, maybe a little bit culty. Um, and a woman goes in there basically to buy a dress for a date um, after, you know, she's she's living with her son uh, who's in a very kind of strange fetishistic relationship with an older woman. Her husband is started, has started dating another woman and she kind of goes out to find the perfect dress and she does find a rather lovely dress. Uh, but there's something a bit strange about it. And uh, as the film goes on, it's kind of... You could say it was revealed, I guess, what, what this dress does to people. Yeah, and uh, it encounters a variety of characters as well uh, along the way, including a fantastically hypnotic washing machine repairman. <laughs> um, before we delve right into the film, I think we'll quickly get up to speed with Peter Strickland at this point, and then we'll hear from the man himself talking about In Fabric. Uh, but within his career, this is the longest that we've had to wait for a film since Catelyn Varga. There's a big gap between the Duke of Burgundy and this one. Uh, to me, this feels like 
where he has a bit more muscle to throw around, maybe. Um, he delivered on the promise of Berberian Sound Studio with the Duke of Burgundy, um, and it feels like he could be a bit selective, maybe, at this point. Uh, along the way, he does make a short film, though. He does, yeah. It's actually part of an anthology. You could call it a short film, you could call it an anthology film. Uh, it's uh, from uh, The Field Guide to Evil. It's called The Cobbler's Lot, and it's widely regarded as uh, the best film of the bunch. Um, the film itself, Field Guide to Evil, uh, didn't get a lot of good reviews, but um, everyone that did review it did mention that Peter Strickland's uh, part, which comes at the very end, is uh, it's a folk fantasy tale that kind of draws from Hungarian uh, folk stories. And you say Peter Strickland made that? He did, yeah. <laughs> very out of character. What? Uh, but yeah, it's 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 kind of going back to his roots in a way with Catalin Varga. Um, but it's it's a very strange, aesthetically strange uh, film that has kind of a bit of puppetry aspect to it, a bit of an animation aspect to it, um, a bit of an old timey kind of um, flickering light aspect to it. Um, but it's 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 scary actually. It's probably the scariest thing he's made um, and the most outright horror thing he's made. Um, but yeah, he did this in between. Between, um, and it feels very different to In Fabric. In Fabric feels like a very singular film. Yeah, definitely. In Fabric knows what it's about, son. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a really interesting place for Peter Strickland. Um, from the interview that you hear in just a moment, I get the impression that uh, maybe he's been burned from a few project or casting ideas uh, and settled on a kind of bringing together people that he trusted, the creative team around him off screen and on screen are all a lot of people that we've seen in Strickland films before or in projects that we might associate with the people that are working within those Strickland circles. Uh, and in particular, Fatima Mohammed, who's been there throughout his career. But I think before we delve into In Fabric and this incredible cast that's in front of us as well, uh, we should probably hear from the man himself. Uh, so here is Peter Strickland on In Fabric. Let's move on to In Fabric. Um, I, obviously there's, there's the Ealing film Dead of Night, portmanteau horror film. Um, I remember a couple of Donald Pleasant's ones from the early 70s, including one where Joan Collins' character's husband ends up killing her, or the tree that he's in love with kills her and he ends up in bed with the tree. Okay, I need to see this. Um, All right, okay. Which is very that strange film. amazing. Um, but I'm, ju I'm just curious about your attraction to the portmanteau film and the original idea for In Fabric and how it changed? Um, well, I guess a lot of it just came from secondhand shopping, really. The, the idea of, of clothing moving from character to character. I mean, this shirt is secondhand and it's, it's it, who had it before me? Um, and you start to imagine scenarios in your head, you know, and, and quite often, yeah, I, I, I guess when you, in charity shops, you are thinking about sex and death. You know, people had sex in that clothing. People died in that clothing, or you know, I, I don't know. But um, so, yeah, the idea of it moving from person to person it came quite, quite naturally, really. Um, but then you realise there's not enough money to kind of keep going from person to person. That you've got to kind of slim it down. And I could have had more characters and made the stories shorter, but um, the problem with that was you're not into the characters as much. Because I didn't want the characters just to be wiped off. The idea is that if, I, if I'm not caring about the characters, it's not working for me. For me, it's not horror if you don't care about them. 
Um, and the other problem with that is if I'm killing them off too quickly, it becomes like this didactic judgment of, you know, already this film is, is on, a, on, a, on, a, on thin ice regarding anti-consumerist finger wagging. Uh, so really, yeah, I, I, I guess I try to write it as if this whole genre element didn't exist, as if I'm writing a regular story about someone's life, and then I introduce the intrusive element of genre, really. And like your two previous films, um, again, it, it's, it's your, your, your screenplays um, are mostly sparse and they, they breathe wonderfully as a result of that. But you, there is a fascination with syntax. There's a specific, specificity of language that mm -hmm. you have in the studio in Barbarian between two lovers in, in this unique relationship in Duke of Burgundy. And now you have this consumerist world. Could you talk about creating this, this sort of um, shopping nadsat? I think a lot of that comes from working in shops. Um, not just that, but also having lived outside of the UK when my awful attempts at learning Hungarian, I, I'm realizing how euphemistic the English language is compared to other languages. So I am exaggerating that. Um, the idea of, of working in retail as a performance. Uh, so really, to me, uh, it's interesting showing it now with, with people that a lot of people kind of, someone said, oh my God, this reminds me of my job. And so that's really good because I, I don't see the film as particularly weird. I mean, what is weird for me is what other, is what other people don't find weird. And what is weird for me is, is the dress supernatural element. But I think that's like a staple of genre, which people don't find weird. But everything else, I'm exaggerating it. The bank and so on. I'm just stretching the elastic of, of um, those experiences, really. But, you know, even I used to work at TGI Fridays and we'd all line up on Saturday morning. This is in 1989 um, and greet the first people coming in. Yeah, I mean, that was a complete performance. The, uh, the one constant in your films is Fatma. Can you talk about her? Uh, I met Fatma, well, I saw a picture of Fatma Mohammed before I met her. Uh, I went to this theater in Transylvania and they had all the actors, they had photographs of each actor as they do in all these theaters. Um, I remember her looking very mysterious and quite serious as well. I was actually, I think I was quite scared of her in the sense that he was someone who was very, very serious. Um, and I arranged to meet her through someone uh, and I just offered her a very small part in Kotlin Varga. Um, and she slept in her friend's car until five in the morning when we did that scene. I thought, wow, she's tough, you know. Um, but I, I don't know, she had something about her. You know, it was, I, I didn't know at that time that she'd end up in all, you know, in everything I do. Um, we got on quite well. Um, so, Ever, ever since then, I kind of wrote parts for her, you know, Sylvia in Barbarian, The Carpenter, Duke of Burgundy, The Princess in Cobbler's Lot, and Miss Luckmore from In Fabric. Um, what was I going to say about Fatma, really? But it's weird because, you know, we don't see each other socially. I mean, she, she lives in Transylvania, so it's a very rare, it's, it's a strange thing where I call her up, I got the script, can you read it? You know, Luckily so far, she says yes, 
and then we just do it. And then I, I don't see her again for a couple of years. And I think for anyone, Miss Lockmore, but her dialogue would be something of a challenge. Uh, yeah, no, it was not easy for her. I mean, especially because at that point she was in um, she was in a play in Transylvania, so we had to fly her back and forth three times. So I think just physically she was exhausted, and then I gave her this dialogue, and she's like, "Don't do that to me." Um, so I think even for a British person, it was quite a challenge. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you don't see that on screen. Um, <laughs> she's just full of flamboyance. Um, but my memory of Fat Motor is just her being very tired. But yeah, she's great. She's uh, very interesting because she, I didn't know this until much later. I, I should have guessed it really, but um, I always thought she was Romanian. I mean, she speaks Romanian, that's her mother tongue. But she has a Hungarian mother and a father from Sudan. Um, so, but she grew up as a Romanian, really. And she's the, an interesting element in In Fabric that she brings this old world quality to a drama that's set in the 1990s, transform it. So you, you have the, the horror element of, of what's behind the facade of the store, but with her and the way she's dressed, sort of channeling this certain element of Victoriana. Um, it, it, again, like your other films, there's this timeless quality. Well, I think a lot of that comes from uh, department stores, that they had that quality to them. You, you could never really, they were like a, a, a mishmash of Edwardian, Victorian, 50s, 60s, 70s, quite rare to go beyond the 70s. Um, they were always out of time, I think even in 2013 when Jackson's closed. Jackson's was this place I used to go to in Reading, which inspired in fabric. But that looked like something out of the 50s when it closed. Um, so I wanted to be true to that, that you, you feel like you're stepping back in time. The rest of the film has a sort of 90s feel to it, or even contemporary, you know, minus the, the answer phones. And suddenly you're thrown into this flamboyant, place which is full of artifice and um, so yeah I mean for me the whole Miss Luckmore thing comes quite organically from that and also just this awkwardness when I know this is not answering your, your question but these pneumatic shoots for the money that very agonizing wait for your change to come back sometimes it was so agonizing you would just leave without your change um, but in that time of waiting, when you're standing there before the cashier and you do start thinking about the store and you look at the dumb waiter and start to wonder if it leads anywhere interesting and things like that. And was it always a dress? Yeah, it was always a dress, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it could have been trousers, could have been socks. Actually, socks would, would be great, actually. It's a good idea. Um, <laughs> it could be... It could be Boxer shorts, that's another good one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess one of, the, one of the first images in my head was a dress flying through the air, looking like an amoeba or a jellyfish. That was a very powerful thing in, in my head. So, I mean, a lot of images come to me before I have the script, so that, the cues of people down the street, this kind of eerie silence. And I tried to... I was getting a bit above myself, but trying to think of M.R. James 
if he were commissioned to write about the, the high street, how he would do it. So find the uncanny in the high street, find the unfamiliar in the familiar, which is kind of the opposite with the Duke of Burgundy. The Duke of Burgundy was finding the familiar in this un unfamiliar world I, I, I set up. Um, yeah, with the high street, it was, for me, it was exciting to find something really pr prosaic and get away from the haunted house, get away from, from, from the, the misty beach and see if we can make it into this haunted space. And I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, the sound of the high street. And I think with, the, with these clips of, of shopping, um, we used old library um, tapes from the 70s, which had that very specific sound of you know, kids and adults. And that it's very generic. But at the same time, I think because it's generic, it, it kind of has that haunted element to it. Also, in the way that uh, some recent films that have been set in a newspaper room and people talk about the death of journalism and the death of a particular kind of journalism and that that newsroom sort of um, pressure cooker mentality. And people say that that's the record of then. In some ways, this film feels like a record of a recently bygone era that with internet shopping, we've, some might argue, we lost the sense of the exotic about consumerism. It's become much more banal now. And this film does tap into that. You, you have the banality of the domestic environments of the characters and their homes, but then you enter this world and it is, even though it's a facade, you, you still have this certain bristling of, of exoticism. Well, I love that. And uh, I mean, you could see it as a critique of that, but um, I also think I, I'd, be, I'd be very sad about this. I, mean, I was walking here and, and I walked down this arcade and all these wonderful shops, I mean, way, way too expensive, I'm sure, but just the window dressing and I, I, one of the first films I really got into was um, Street of Crocodiles by the, the, the Quay Brothers. And again, these Polish tailors' shops with the windows and the mannequins and the dust. And it's just, it is like you're entering the fantastical, you're entering the secret world. And you don't get that with chain stores. You certainly don't, you know, don't get that if you're shopping online. But for me, shopping, I mean, shop, shopkeepers don't want to hear this, but I'm just happy to enter a shop and walk out again. <laughs> okay, you need to buy something. But I, um, I think physical space is, is a really important thing. Um, and that the atmosphere of something, and I think for film especially, I, I'm, many films I love just because of the world they're set up. I don't actually care that much about the plot as long as the world is working. For me, the, I mean, the, the ultimate thing is the atmosphere and the characters. Usually there's no resolution, usually they don't learn anything, but I'm still interested in their hopes, their obsessions, their fears, their desires, their anxieties, you know. They might go from A to A to A and never go to B and back again, but it's still, I, I, I mean, that's life. I mean, I find that fascinating. And you, uh, But yeah, going back to shops, yeah, it's just, there's no, nothing beats a great shop. Um. Can we talk about casting yep, from Toby Jones to the two leads in Duke of Burgundy? Uh, yeah, well, um, well, with Kotlin Varga, it was actually very easy because um, I met Hilda through a friend and through Hilda, I met all the other actors because they're all friends. They're all trained in the same theater. And that was actually, even though the language w was, was, was difficult because I, uh, I spoke 
very bad hung Hungarian, um, they all had the same way of arriving at a scene. They all, they were all friends. They all supported each other. So I didn't have to manage anyone because quite often with different actors, you have to manage it because they have different ways of arriving at something or there's a bit of rivalry and so on. Um, so that was really deceptively easy, even though it was kind of difficult because of other reasons. But I mean, beyond Varga, um, I mean, a lot of it is working with Shaheen Baig. Um, she suggested both Toby Jones and Sisa Babak Knudsen for those two following films. I hadn't thought of them. Um, with Marianne Jean-Baptiste, that was actually Toby Jones who, because we asked Marianne, even though Shaheen did the asking, I'd already made up my mind who I wanted before Shaheen got involved and Shaheen helped with the rest of the cast. Um, but again, with casting, it's, you're just lucky they say yes. You know, I, I've been down some avenues with other films which collapsed and, and they collapsed because we were chasing big stars who were um, just made me realize I actually don't want to work with big stars. You know, you'd fly somewhere to meet someone, they don't turn up and that kind of thing. And I think it only works if they want to work with you which is really arrogant, but it's, I think it's the only way it, you, you can do it. Because I think it's, it's just, I just find life is too short to um, do this whole dance with people. But yeah, I've been very lucky with actors so far. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So something that he says in that interview that I thought was really interesting. It only works if they want to work with you so at this point he's bringing in people that want to work with him as much as he wants to work with them and obviously that builds up this incredible amount of trust which i think for a film like this as strange as it is you need a lot of trust in peter strickland and that's rewarded yeah and i think it's a good guiding principle for life as well only working with people that want to work with you you hit the uh the land hard in in talking about the strict land earlier before and it really got me thinking about what that would be a sort of like abandoned carnival uh, mm -hmm. kind of landscape with these different sort of people popping up 
um, as you say, his people he keeps coming back to time and time again. And there's also all of these overlaps between a f- sort of filmmakers like Ben Wheatley, who are working a lot with the same cast, or somebody like Steve Oram, who made R. Um, again, a lot of overlap in the cast there. And I would, I don't know whether I would or wouldn't want to wander around that land at midnight, but I think you. I'd go to that theme park. I'd go to that theme park, yeah. Um, I mean, you could say it's Peter Strickland's. Carnival of Souls. Mm-hmm. You eh? could say that. You could say that. Which, a wonderful film. Yeah, yeah which Curzon played recently, I think, yeah. uh, with an There was a reason I said it like that. Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I have to say, I'm not. I'm not just saying this because because I'm on a podcast talking about it. But Carnival of Souls is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, it's. I've tried showing it to people before, and they complain about the uh, sound design in it and the foley work not being right. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that's the point. It's really, really weird. Uh, and it tries to throw you off every step of the way. And I think you feel like Peter Strickland learned a lot from that kind of uh, filmmaking technique, yeah, like he's... footsteps not sinking properly. He's yeah. talked about it being one of those somnolent films where it feels like the film is asleep at the wheel, which I really <laughs> like. Yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so we, within that carnival of souls, within Strickland, I love this idea. I mean, it's going to be added to the Merlin Pass along with Alton Towers. Um, Mummy, can we go to Strickland again? You have to be over five foot five to ride. I, I must go on the red dress ride. Um, it's an incredible cast. We've got Marianne Jean Baptiste as Sheila. She's kind of maybe the the biggest role in the film. Um, definitely uh, holding on to the the first half, two thirds of it. Uh, we've got Hayley Squires, who people will know from I, Daniel Blake. Uh, Leo Bill as Reg Speaks, who is the uh, washing machine man. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones and Star Wars in this as well. Julian Barrett, Steve Aran as Stash and Clive, <laughs> the best bank managers in Reading. Um, and and it, ju- it just goes on. And of course, Fatima Mohammed and Sidzi Babbitt Knudsen, who we would have seen from Duke of Burgundy as well. I mean, this is a, a huge cast that he's managed to pull together. Um, but I think let, let's dive into the the first half of the film, uh, which is focused on Sheila. And this is where we get introduced to the red dress uh, and the department store, which he reconstructed this quite magical, cold, almost feels like the final rooms of 2001 at some point. I think what uh, one thing to note about In Fabric is that it's his fourth film but it's his first film that's explicitly taking place in britain um and in a britain that i don't know if this is the 60s or 70s the 80s i've no idea when this is um there's certainly a kind of retro analog kind of aspect to everything that's going on but i don't think he has any interest in setting this in a time period um even though yeah like he said a lot of the influence seems to come from the 80s um the catalogs the tv adverts things like that yeah and the music Mm. but then are there mobile phones in it as well i think so it's difficult i i I don't remember is there there mobile phones yeah yeah Yeah, there are mobile phones none of the tvs seem to be flat screen tvs either they all seem to be kind of retro futurist televisions um but yeah it reminds me the way like in the overlook in the shining everything's happening at once there isn't a single timeline in mm. the overlook everything is just overlaid over each other yeah yeah i think that's i think that that this is the kind of film that does this most explicitly instead of it kind of an undercurrent of it like you see in in his previous films um but yeah i mean i think he built this kind of uh department store that is the main kind of location for the film all of the weird uh, things that happen in this film seem to happen in the department store. And, yeah, uh, there, yeah. there is a central scene with uh, Richard Bremer as Mr. Lundy, 
who is the manager of the store involving... What a face a, that man has. Oh, God. He will haunt your dreams. Incredible face. I mean, yeah. this, this, this is another... This film, again, is the most... Uh, has the most in common with Carnival of Souls because the faces in that film are just so creepy and so kind of they jar you when you see them. And this guy is exactly the same as that whenever he appears on screen, whether it's kind of in the background shuffling across or whether it's a close up of his face as he goes about his business. Yeah, um, I think it's know. his most haunted film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, um, Catherine, you mentioned the the mannequins in the Duke of Burgundy, which is the incredibly erotic film, and and he he revisits that again in this with a mannequin uh, and bringing back Fatma Muhammad to perform some acts on this mannequin whilst Richard Bremer enjoys this act himself and that is something that I'm never going to forget no matter how long I live. No, it's some powerful imagery. It re- really is. We laugh. when you're on your own. He's watching you for the rest of your life. <laughs> we laugh but there's some very disturbing kind of powerful imagery that, that he he in the middle of the film as well this is it feels like that is a big kind of fanfare conclusion thing that that he wants to kind of maybe end his film with or start his film but it drops it in the middle yeah. as this really disturbing scene that does stick with you for the rest of the film you know but i like that it's not just doing like you know oh what what wacky and spooky thing can we do next the film really kind of controls when we're going in and out of the more surreal elements and then back into the mother and son's home life which is much more of a sort of almost EastEnders type register well, and I don't mean yeah. that as a diss it's just like you know dealing with your son dating somebody and dealing with your mother dating somebody like all of that kind of very everyday do you want a cup of tea love like, and he modulates that shift superbly I it's, think. Yeah it's reflected amazingly in the dialogue as well the fact yeah. that like you said you have this EastEnders-esque kind of almost kitchen sink dialogue between um, Marianne Jean-Baptiste's character and her son um, the way she shouts up the stairs to ask him if he wants lunch and things like that but then the flip side of that we have Fatma Mohammed's incredibly poetic kind of lush dialogue that she uses to entice people into buying clothes and some of that dialogue is so so funny and then when you see these two characters come together um, you get uh, comments like um, dimensions and measurements traverse the prism of our garments and things like that and then you get uh, (laughs) the other character turn around and saying like so you won't have any more in then (laughs) and may I interest you in other desired supposes in our exclusive boutique I'm fine for now thank you then I would like you to announce your locus of residence, followed by the numbers to your telephone. Sheila Wallchapel, 16 Ferndale Road, Thames Valley on Thames, 01632-960-786. It's a really good collision it reminds me of those sort of Lindsay Anderson films you made after you made if the like Hotel Britannia and and Oh Lucky Man and all that where you'll have sort of some bloke who's part of the kind of angry young man sort of school of writing the Malcolm McDowell character and then he'll just wander into a sex party and kind of have to treat it like it's normal (laughs) it's and it's in the collision of those two things that I think it becomes most interesting yeah yeah um I do want to talk about the second half of the film where we do uh, get to meet Reg Speaks uh, and Babs, his fiance, played by Hayley Squires, who is a washing machine repairman who has a particular set of skills. 
Uh, and you make it sound like sex skills. Which not that. Although I, I mean, actually, it's, yeah, it's definitely borrowing from that confessions of a window cleaner yeah. '60s carry on kind of vibe in in a lot of that dialogue. I think. Yeah. Um, so people in the town of Strickland, I'm going to go with that. That's what it is now. Um, <laughs> are really fascinated and intrigued and eventually hypnotized by the way that reg speaks about washing machines uh just going over about well the drum has tumbled through into this section below the wigwag yeah Yeah. uh and all of this nonsense uh but it is it has its own rhythm to it and it's quite odd and it reminded me that when i used to work in a call center there were people that would just ring up just to hear people talk through stuff and then hang up well, really, in a in a world where a we, lot of heavy breathing while those things <laughs> happened, it happened. All right, <laughs> in, a, in, a, Sorry, in a world where we kind of live with um, what are these videos called, where you watch them on Instagram and they squeeze plasticine and things like that. Oh, like the textural stuff. Yeah, yeah, where you sort of hear, hear people eating and all yeah, of that. Yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. It's kind ASMR. of ASMR, and that's what Reg seems to have as well, mm. um, which is just this. This is dropped in again, dropped into the film as this strange little. Moment, or this strange little thing that Reg can do that completely kind of has its own uh, plot line. Yeah. Um, but it's still really fascinating and funny. And yeah. this is what In Fabric does best is that you never feel settled in this film at all. You're constantly shifting um, perceptions and it makes it so it's just never boring. No, it is It is a thrilling film because you don't know where the horror is going to come from and where the comedy is going to come from all the time because it can come in opposite directions in the same direction it's really really exciting to watch yeah what is such a strange suburban film at points and the casting's incredibly clever it, it plays to that as well i think sort of almost everybody who's been cast in this film is able to play on those sort of two different registers i think like steve oram in particular he's got that wonderful sort of um philip stone energy where on, on one moment he's a very avuncular and you know very sort of matey and then there's always this sort of sinister undertow as well um philip Stone, I should say, the, the guy who plays um, Delbert Grady in The Shining, the caretaker. He's also in Barry Lyndon as like a lawyer, and he's in Clockwork Orange as um, the as Alex's dad. So like one of the only actors who did the Kubrick triple. But he's got that kind of like, Oram has that kind of energy as well. And I think Shaheen Bake, who cast the film, like she should take uh, sort of huge amount of credit for why this film works as well as it does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is definitely it's. His first kind of ensemble piece, when we look back on the three films that we've already discussed, they are so focused in on their stories. And it's really great to see him kind of sprawling out a bit. Mm. No, it's it's that that's what I really like about it. And I I think that's probably quite a leap for him as well to do that. Um, and I think by doing that and the the way the, the places that he takes this film um, visually and uh, kind of thematically and narratively, all add up, I think, to, to making his best film. And I'm very, very glad that we get to see this in cinemas as well because he does so much cool stuff with technique, like the old uh, the old adverts for shopping centres on television and the, the chit-chatter, the kind of um, environmental chit-chatter that you hear yeah. in shopping centres. He's, he's so interested in creating what worlds and films can he create within this world, those titles that are in Berberian Sound Studio the titles for perfume and lingerie that we see in Duke of Burgundy, just 
building up this visual identity, the commercial identity that could exist within the reality of this world is so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and coming off of the back of working a short film within an anthology film that didn't quite hang together, approaching this as a film that is very much in two parts uh, inevitably invites us to compare the two stories. Um, does this hang together in one piece? I think so. Um, but I, something I would be really interested to try as an experiment is coming in in at the midway point and watching the first half second and then experiencing the second half as a flashback. And I wonder whether that's something that would even have been tried at the script or editing stage because I think it would work. I haven't tried it yet, <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna. Um, and I mean, I love anthology films that can work like that where they they do. There is a relationship between the different parts of the film. Um, but it's not necessarily a linear relationship. Mm. And I think when, when anthologies don't work, it's usually because the, the p- different parts of the anthology are just sort of too separate and different directors have gone off and made like wildly variable films that aren't really talking to each other in any meaningful way. Mm. Yeah, and that, Stephen, you said yeah. this is his best film, so I'm guessing it hung together for you. <laughs> it definitely hung together for me. Um, yeah, this this thing... It, it, I hadn't actually thought about it in terms of an anthology. I'm a huge fan of like anthology filmmaking. I think some of the best kind of short films can be found in horror anthologies in particular something like toby dammit that fellini made in spirits of the dead which is a film where the you've got three directors like louis mal and, and roger vadim and fellini all making these individual films and it doesn't need to be an anthology because the other two are terrible um but this this is something where he's he has in a way made two separate films um that are both in that are both dealing with the theme of retail mm-hmm. and what that means to people yeah. and the kind of pure pleasure that you can get from buying something yeah this is existing in kind of a pre-post amazon world Mm -hmm. like there's no asos here people go out and shopping is an important part of their day and he revels in it it may seem like a film that that is just weird for weird sake but it's not it's 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 got something kind of darkly funny to say about the retail and the consumerist experience um and uh it's it's timely in that way as well so I mean, I'm with Strickland on this. I'll buy a T-shirt online, but anything else? Like, how can you buy something that you haven't put on your body? The whole, like, 95% of of how, of what a garment is, is how it sits on you. And nothing to do with, like, what colour it is. It's, well, actually, I'm going to take that back because the redness of this dress (laughs) is very crucial. But, yeah, I I love that that this film is almost just a sort of musing that I'm sure everyone has had who's bought secondhand clothing on the past lives of a piece of clothing that you've bought. You know, what? whose sweat has soaked into this thing that you're wearing? Um, what has happened in this dress? Like, if you've bought a dress from a charity shop, you've probably bought a dress that somebody else has had sex in at some point. It's... Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's, it's the whole reason to buy things from charity shops. That would sound like I had a, a particular fetish, but it is a really nice thing to see dramatised on film, that, that sort of um, musing that happens when you get something from a vintage place. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> there it is. Uh, that is In Fabric, and sadly, that is the end. Thank you to Stephen Ryder and Catherine Bray for joining me. It's, it's been a ride, hasn't it? been a pleasure yeah it's been great i i think he's someone that you know after he's got another few films into his kind of oeuvre i think they're going to look back at peter strickland and and look at him as a really kind of important 
experimental adventurous filmmaker yeah um in fabric is in cinemas and on curzon home cinema now and remember you get 50 percent off of peter's previous three films by using the offer code strickland if you do want to watch them on our on-demand service so we we made it hopefully this wasn't just a fever dream of my own creation as i sat lonely and creatively stifled in my garden shed not again (laughs) sadly it is time to call pinastri on this whole adventure but i must say thank you again to you both uh, for joining me if it is your first time listening to the curzon podcast do subscribe you can do that on spotify acast itunes wherever you get your podcasts and if you've enjoyed the show do give us a review uh, or a comment that would be absolutely wonderful and check your feed for our coverage on the latest quality and independent UK film releases, as well as our conversations with some of the most interesting filmmakers working today. Thank you so much for listening. It is farewell from Stephen. Farewell. Farewell from Catherine. Bye. And farewell from me. Farewell. A purchase on a horizon. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. It's just a cheap bit of mystery. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress.